Well, everyone, my name is Leanne, and I am excited to be here with you guys tonight. It is an honor and a privilege. I first started coming here to Sanctuary back in 2012, and I have been rooted in Menlo ever since. Uh, I am what you call a Bay Area native. Uh, show of hands, who grew up here in the Bay Area? Oh, okay, there's actually quite a few. So I grew up in a town called Alamo that's out in the East Bay. And growing up, my family consisted of my mom, my dad, my older brother, Alexander, and my nanny, Amay. She was a live-in nanny growing up, and so for me, she was like a second mom. So starting out, my family, we were a family of five, and um, I was initially raised Christian. So when I was going through elementary school, I believed in God. It was what I believed because that was what I was told. As I moved into middle school, I stopped believing in God. Not for any particular reason, it was something that just, I had a lot of questions and it didn't make sense to me. And so I stopped believing. As I entered high school though, I had a change of heart and decided to give Jesus a chance, uh, which I'm standing up here today, which means I stand by that decision. I was really, uh, I'm really grateful because the church that I went to growing up had a very strong youth group. And so there were these incredible volunteer leaders who loved me and mentored me and invested in my spiritual welfare. And it was such that over the course of those four years, I grew tremendously in faith. And it was such that when I went off to college, my faith in God was really core to who I was. It had become core to my identity. Now, that being said, I still had a lot of angst through middle school and high school that I didn't really understand. And it was something where when I applied to colleges, I really wanted to get away, right? To go out of state, go somewhere far away where no one would know me, where I could have a fresh start. And I think that's a sentiment that a lot of people can probably relate to, right? Especially by the end of high school. And for me, my freshman year of college, I was at MIT in Boston, and it was exactly that. It was this fresh start, and it was everything that I wanted. I, was, I, I loved my life, and I was full of energy and enthusiasm, and I was passionate about God. In May 2008, my life changed. It was the end of my freshman year of college, which... For my older brother, it was the end of his senior year at UC Berkeley. And in college, my brother, his best friend was a guy named Chris. And Alexander and Chris were in a fraternity together. On May 3rd, there was an altercation that started outside of the fraternity house. And it was between two groups of drunk young men. Chris tried to de-escalate the situation, and Chris was even the one to call 911. But Chris ended up jumping in, and he wound up with a knife in his chest. And Chris died that night at the age of 21. Chris's murder was no doubt a senseless tragedy. And, uh, but the thing was, though, I hardly knew Chris, right? He was my brother's best friend. But for me, he was really just an acquaintance, right? I met him a handful of times while Alexander was in college. 
But the thing was that when Chris died, it, I fell apart. And the reason why was because for me, Chris's murder was a trigger. There's a large part of my story that I haven't shared with you yet. When I was 10 years old, my family was the victim of a home invasion. There were two men who tried to force their way into our home, and we were all home for it. My nanny was beaten, and my mom was beaten and shot. The bullet stopped just before her heart, and the only reason she survived was because that bullet was first slowed down by going through my father. My dad was shot twice in the back, and he died that night in the hospital. My father killed one of the men, and my parents, despite their wounds, fought back and had the other man tied up and subdued by the time the cops came. And that man is now serving life in prison for what he did to our family. When I was 10 years old, I didn't know how to process that event. And so my mind and my body's way of coping and protecting me was to suppress everything. And so in the aftermath, I didn't really feel anything. I didn't feel sad, I didn't feel mad, I didn't want to cry, I didn't want to talk about it, and I didn't miss my dad. And it was something where, for years, as a preteen, my mom forced me to go to therapy, and I felt like I didn't need to be there. I insisted that I was fine, because I felt like the event of that night did not affect me. In hindsight, though, I understand that it did. Right? I don't think it's normal for an 11-year-old to listen to Eminem on repeat. And I don't think it's normal for a preteen to cry alone at night and feel upset but not understand why. Growing up, I struggled to relate to my peers, and I didn't know how to open up and how to share. And so I always felt lonely. I understand now, in hindsight, that I struggled with clinical depression starting in middle school. It just, it wasn't something that was diagnosed, and it wasn't something that I understood, and no one else really understood it either because I never talked about it. So when I was 18, Chris was murdered, and I very suddenly felt like I was hit by a truck. I was starting, I was, I was struggling with these emotions, feeling emotions that were orders of magnitude greater than I ever knew existed. And I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat, I couldn't breathe. I didn't finish my finals, I didn't finish my classes, and above all, I could not stop crying. You can call it a major depressive episode, or you can call it PTSD, or anxiety, or grief. Whatever you call it, for me, it was absolute hell. Now, at the time, I believed in God with all of my heart, and so I tried to lean on him in every way that I knew how. I prayed the most earnest prayers a person can pray, and I cried 
the most gut-wrenching tears that a person can cry. And on one hand, there's something beautiful and precious and intimate about that, right? To cry out to God from a place of deep, raw vulnerability. But for whatever reason, I could no longer sense God in my life. All I could perceive was deafening silence. Never in my life had I felt so alone, and I tried to get help. I tried going to therapy, and I tried talking about it with friends, but for whatever reason, that summer, I did not find the healing that I needed, and I couldn't understand where God fit into all of this, right? It can be so hard sometimes to know where God is in the midst of our pain. I was drowning in emotions far bigger than I understood, and even though I intellectually understood that they somehow had to stem from that childhood trauma, right, it doesn't take a psychologist to figure that out. Uh, for whatever reason, I was still so disassociated from that event that I couldn't emotionally connect the dots. For me, the feelings felt like they came out of nowhere, and I couldn't anchor them, and I didn't know how to make sense of them and how to move past them. But life goes on, right? The world keeps going whether we're ready or not. And so I went back to school that fall. I focused on my classes. I got good grades. I got great internships, graduated, traveled the world, got a full-time job at Apple doing product design. From the outside looking in, my life was progressing, and it was moving forward in all the ways that it was supposed to. But I felt dead on the inside. We can shut ourselves off from pain. When we shut ourselves off from pain, we also shut ourselves off from feeling joy. And for me, that's what the rest of college was. I was existing and I was coping, but I didn't feel like I was really living. I felt like my life was on pause since Chris's murder. And I didn't know how to fix that. Now, through that season, I never wanted to drift away from God. In fact, that was the last thing I wanted, right? Because I told you guys, God had meant everything to me. But I fell away from Christian community, and I struggled to go to church because you can put a mask on, right, for other people, and sometimes you can even fool yourself into thinking you're okay, but God sees all, right? And I it just broke my heart to go to church and just to be before God because I couldn't face God without facing this very real unresolved pain in my life. And I struggled. I didn't know how to be an authentic community, the kind where people ask, how are you really, right? Because I couldn't bear to show how messed up I was inside. I grew to hate myself because I hated what I saw and what I felt. These ugly, painful emotions, deep sorrow, and burning rage, right? I didn't want to feel it. I didn't want that to be a part of me, but I didn't know how to make it stop. I didn't know how to make it go away. And as weeks turned into months, turned into years, I grew more and more jaded on God. Right? Where are you, God? Where are you? When I started full-time work in 2012, there were two things that I knew. 
one, I knew that I needed to get professional help for my mental health. I was terrified of opening that Pandora's box, but what I feared more was my entire life passing me by without me feeling genuine peace and joy, right? To go a lifetime of coping and existing but not really living. The second thing I knew was that I needed to reconnect with Christian community, and that's when I found sanctuary. I knew that the greatest desire of my heart was to reconnect and to restore my faith with God. The single greatest blessing that God gave me through that season was the world's greatest small group. Community matters, and I can't emphasize that enough. Community matters because God works through other people, and I know that I could not have survived that season without the support of those godly women. Now, I will tell you that things got a whole lot worse before they got better. When I started therapy at Kaiser, things completely unraveled so fast. Uh, and within a matter of weeks, it was just like I was back in 2008 when Chris had just been murdered. From there, I spent another eight months spiraling down to rock bottom, and every day was feeling like the new worst day of my life. I wasn't suicidal, and I didn't want to die, and yet I did not want to exist like that anymore. I was exhausted from doing every proactive thing that I could think of to try and help me, right, to try and fix me. And I was barely clinging to my faith and I was terrified because I was afraid that I would very soon become suicidal. May 25th, 2013, I define as rock bottom. My life started to turn around for a number of reasons. I went on a leave of absence from Apple for three months. I checked myself into an outpatient program at Kaiser I started on medication for the first time in my life. I started with a private therapist who I was seeing twice a week. And I finally told my family what was going on with me because they had no idea. These things were all very important to my recovery. And these things all coincided with late May. But they were not the real reason why my life was able to finally turn around and why I was able to finally reach an inflection point and start on the road to recovery. The real reason is more difficult to explain and it sort of makes me sound crazy, but here we go. We could stop too. If you guys want, I could just stop. Uh, okay. so. On May 23rd, 2013, I had some personal epiphanies about God and his role in my story. I had lunch uh, a day prior with a dear friend of mine, and, and she, she said to me, Leanne, the whole time you keep asking, where is God, where is God, right, where is God? It's as if for you, God was the one who was murdered. And when she said this, it stuck with me. It sunk like a hook in my brain because even though it didn't really make sense, she was right. And so the next day, I furiously journaled 17 pages, 
in my journal. And when I did, things finally became clear to me. You see, my dad was the one who was murdered, and my dad was the one who was taken from me. But I didn't feel mad or sad for the loss of him, even though he was a fantastic father. But I did sure as hell feel like God was missing from my life, like God had been taken, and perhaps maybe like God had been murdered, right? I also knew, I also understood that the trauma of the home invasion and all the emotions that one might expect one to feel about an event like that, I didn't seem to feel them. But if you have me talk about 2008 and the aftermath of Chris's murder, my blood boils and I feel terrified. Have me talk about my dad, nothing. Have me talk about God, completely heartbroken and devastated. And this is how you know psychology is twisted. Or at least that my psychology is twisted, and hopefully not yours. I had projected the event of my father's murder onto the event of Chris's murder. And not only that, I also projected my dad onto God. Not Chris, but God. And instead of walking around feeling like my dad was dead, I was walking around feeling like God was dead. When I made that connection, it fully and perfectly explained the chaos and distortions of emotions that I had been feeling. Why I had felt so confused, and it finally became clear to me that God had never abandoned me. And in fact, I was able to see for the first time with crystal clarity that God profoundly loved me and he had woven himself into my story. On that day, I was able to see my story from a brand new perspective. And let me try and explain that. You see, when I was 10 years old and praying that night for both of my parents in the hospital, God heard, he cared, and he loved me so. It is my belief now that my self-defense mechanisms, the way that I suppressed everything in order to function, I believe that was God through the Holy Spirit protecting me, right? She's too young. I love her. Protect her. Keep her safe. Shield her. And when I was 13 and just a lonely girl without her father, when I thought I was crying alone in my room, God was there. God heard, he cared, and he loved me so. And so he intervened. I had a friend once say to me, Leanne, why aren't you more messed up? Why are you so normal? And I was like, what? Are you not listening to anything I'm saying? I'm feeling pretty messed up right now. And she said, no, Leanne. She said, Leanne, you don't abuse drugs or alcohol or sex. You don't cut yourself. You don't have an eating disorder. You're not a criminal. Right? Instead, you're a complete overachiever, and your life has turned out amazing. For, for people who go through your kind of trauma, that's just not normally how their stories turn out. Right? Why do you think you're different? And at the time, I didn't have an answer for her. But on that day, I realized. I was able to see and I understood. It was because God intervened. 
God came into my life when I was 13, before I had a chance to barrel down a path of poor decisions, of self-abuse, of addiction. Because he loved me, right? I love her so. Let her grow as my disciple. Let me be her father. By age 18, God had become my everything. I fell completely in love with him because whether I knew it or not, he filled my need for a God and he filled my need for a father. But it was time for me to face reality. I needed to grow up and it was finally time for me to feel the loss of my dad. But God had become such a father figure in my world that my mind got confused. God was dad and just like that, God was gone. And I was so overwhelmed and I was so confused and I grew so frustrated. I thought God had abandoned me, but he didn't because that's not in God's character. God was there. God heard, he cared, and he loved me so. God said, Leanne, your mind is hardcore in denial and you are twisting everything around, but that's okay. Take as much time as you need and if you need to be mad at me, that's okay. I can take it, all right? I love you so much, and one day you will see. On that day, my whole life flashed before my eyes. The story was the same, but somehow the narrative was so completely different. I'm going to share with you now the last paragraph that I wrote in those 17 pages that I journaled. I've loved God for 10 years now, and he's loved me since the dawn of time. I'm a lucky, lucky girl to have had both an earthly father and a heavenly father who have loved me so much, both willing to die to save me, to protect me, to ensure my future. My life is blessed beyond measure. It's the same story, same story as it's ever been, and yet somehow the narrative is completely different. I had spent years feeling so abandoned and so unloved, but I was wrong. For whatever reason, I don't know why, but on that day, I was, my, my eyes were opened, and my life was transformed. The day you realize how loved you are, how unconditionally loved you are by the God of this universe, your life will not be the same. It cannot be the same. Here's the thing about God. He operates on the time scale of eternity. In Romans 8:28, it says, God always works for the good of those who love him. It may not feel good at the time, and it may not make sense to us in our finite knowledge and our finite perspective. But God is a loving father, and we have to trust that he sees the bigger picture. What happened to my family and what happened to Chris were tragedies and the consequence of human beings making terrible life decisions. God did not will that. But God has the ability to make all things new, to take what is broken and painful and tragic 
and to heal it and redeem it and transform it into something beautiful and inspiring and one day even useful. Persistence, resilience, patience, faith, a deep capacity for empathy, these are traits not easily gained. They are earned. Character building is simply not fun, and it takes longer than we want, but in the time scale of eternity, it is worth it. We have to trust God because he can see the forest from the trees when we can't. God will never give up on us. The question is, will we give up on him? I despised 18 to 25, and I never want to relive it. And yet, I know that my faith would not have the deep roots and the maturity that it has today had I not gone through that chapter. I know that my most intimate and precious moments with God were during that season. And I know that I've been able to experience God up close in a way that many people never do. Above all, there was no doubt in my mind how loved I am by the God of this universe. And to me, there is no greater truth than that to seek in this world. Now, recovery, when it comes to mental health, it's not quick, it's not easy, and it's not linear. For me, uh, so progress has a lot of ups and downs, and for me, from rock bottom, it took me another year and a half before I started feeling okay. But when I did, I felt for the first time like my head was finally above water. And I felt in my heart a genuine peace that I never knew was possible. And for me, that was somewhere around the age of 25. I'm 29 now, and every year since 25 has been the best year of my life. I have so much joy and so much to live for. And I'm so deeply grateful that this is the life I get to live. I'm also proud to say that I don't need to go to therapy and I'm not on medication. I think those are fantastic tools and God knows I needed them in 2013. And God knows that I'm probably going to need them in some later chapter. But for now, I don't need them. And for me, that feels really, really good. In 2017, I realized that I was finally in a really good place in my life and that it was within my capacity to start giving back. And so I did. I have volunteered with two ministries here at Menlo. One is student ministries, and the second is Menlo's grief support group. I know that because of my experiences, I'm uniquely positioned to help people who are recovering from trauma and grief and depression. And to be able to help people in that way is a tremendous blessing and a privilege and, for me, a responsibility that I don't take lightly. If any of you want to learn more about student ministries or about Grief Share, please come find me after. I'm happy to answer any questions. Student ministries is always recruiting leaders, and so you guys all should do it. It's a lot of fun. Grief Share is not fun. <laughs> it's not fun, but if you need it, it's a, it's a valuable resource. My hope in sharing my story with all of you is that you would take away the following. The love of God is the most powerful force in this universe, 
It has the power to heal and to redeem and to transform lives. I have seen it happen in other people's lives, and I know he has done it in mine. If you are in a dark chapter, know that it is only a chapter. God is with you every step of the way, even when you cannot sense him. God will never leave your side. He will never give up on you. The question is, will you give up on him? And for those of you that are in a great chapter, congratulations. And it means it's time for you to give back. Find a way to take the gifts God has given you and take the gratitude that you have for your current life circumstances and find a way to overflow that joy into the life of someone else who needs it. Let me close us in prayer. Dear God, every person in this room has their unique journey with you. God, may we all grow in faith each and every day. And when our faith is tested, God, give us strength, give us courage, give us hope. God, give us wisdom. Help us to never forget that you are good and that you love us and that you are always on our side. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.